in my experience, the parents of the father tend to stand back a bit more and wait to be invited to get involved. Over my dead body. Over my dead body. Over my dead body. Hello and welcome to Over My Dead Body, Fatherhood as It Happens. I'm your host, Alex Lidington-Cox. Now you're listening to us on SoundCloud, Spotify or iTunes. I'm working on getting the podcast on some other platforms, just bear with me. Uh, but do follow us on social media. Uh, OMDB Podcast on Instagram is probably the best place to find us. I do have some Twitter and Facebook handles, but they're mostly placeholders in the event that I can be asked updating them. So stick to Instagram, OMDB Podcast, the best place to follow this podcast. Quick shout out to listener Craig, an old colleague of mine who I ran into at the park, had some very kind words to say about the podcast. Thanks, Craig. Uh, However, he was in the middle of a 24-kilometer run, and I was a third of the way through a five-kilometer jog walk, which was a rather embarrassing chaser to that compliment, but appreciate the compliment nonetheless. Now, today's episode has a bit of a backstory. Uh, Some listeners might be aware I posted a part two to my episode on travel, uh, which was titled Grandparent Management. Uh, I divided grandparents into too scared to intervene and not scared enough, which I thought was rather funny. And uh, that episode has since been deleted. It turns out after having a chat to my good friend, Ali Imlach, mother to four-year-old Isla and Eleanor, who's about six months old, I realized that that theory was full of shit. Uh, It's all about gender. So dads, you're going to hear that conversation, which also covers commute time, me time, and bedtime. One thing perhaps to remember is that this conversation took place before coronavirus, so a lot of the lives that Ali and I describe aren't really there anymore. Uh, We both work from home now. My job's been cut in half, although I do have some good news. I picked up a little bit of extra work, which I'm very grateful for. Parents everywhere are completely flipping their lives around their kids, wondering if we'll ever have to, or indeed be able, to flip them back. And apologies for two things. Firstly, the wind, which sounds a little bit like an arriving Tyrannosaurus Rex in Jurassic Park. This was recorded on a long-awaited weekend away with a group that has a lot of new parents and young kids in it. Naturally, it was recorded after the kids were in bed, the parents were shit-faced, and the podcasters needed to go outside. Secondly, sorry for me being, at times, an obnoxious, drunk asshole. Now, believe me, I've cut a lot of the stupidity out, but I've left some of it in. This sweary know-it-all as a testament to the young father that released that dumb podcast in the first place. Thinks he's got it all figured out because he hasn't completely stuffed up the first six months of his child's life. Well, he doesn't have it all figured out. And I'm very glad that I had this conversation because I learned a lot. Enjoy. Talking about, we were talking about last week about how there are a couple of variables um, when it comes to that will influence, particularly what the grandmother's behaviour is going to be. One of them is like whether or not they're particularly bold, or whether or not they're more reserved. Another is whether or not it's their first grandchild, and the other is whether or not they're f- if it's their first grandchild and they feel like it's arriving late. <laughs> She feels owed, and she's making up for lost time. But yeah, the, the the timing factor is another one. Like if they've been looking forward to grandchildren, like how do you resist stepping over your bounds? Here's something else I've noticed. Something else I've noticed is the difference 
between the parents of the mother and the parents of the father. Mm-hmm. In my experience, the parents of the father tend to stand back a bit more and wait to be invited to get involved. Interesting. Whereas the parents of the mother seem um, to more naturally fall into a bit of a te- care tag, particularly the few days after childbirth. That's really interesting. The first week or two after childbirth. Why do you think that is? Um, well, do you know what? My mother-in-law has had... She she has a lot of insight into this because she worked in um, midwifery. Mm. So she has had to physically restrain <laughs> mothers-in-law <laughs> of women in labour who have insisted on being in the room when their mm. grandchild is born. Oh, God. And... It for some reason, I, I, and I feel like I feel like there is a difference between. Okay, so there's there's a di- there's an obvious difference between the father's role and the mother's role in those first few weeks. In the same way that the the woman is closer to the baby from the get go, they you know the woman has the privilege of feeling the movements first and all that kind of crap, and you know going through the suffering and therefore I suppose create starting to create that bond from you know the start of morning sickness um maybe that closeness sort of filters through to the the mothers who've been through that process so maybe like the mother of a, of a, of the woman is like is sort of seeing the circle of life mm. coming to a close as their 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 baby gives birth you know goes through the physical um the the physical changes involved in pregnancy and labor so i don't know maybe maybe the the mother of a daughter feels closer to the process than the mother of 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 a father well it's often said that like the relationship between grandmother and mother is a particularly important one you know in the lead up to Mm -hmm. and the immediate aftermath of the birth of a child you know that relationship is lauded in our society and you it's kind of expected that you have a strong one I did. My dad said fuck all to me. <laughs> like, really didn't say much to me. Just like, eh, it's, I, I, I don't know. Like, by the time they're three, they're interesting. Like, I think that's basically what he said. I'd be interested whether or not they have, you know, a, too much of a buildup of calcium deposits or other in their teenage years. Uh, oh, we like to cross live to our studio audience as stiff northerly kicks in. The person that I, I found myself increasingly turning to for questions about pregnancy, particularly ones that I thought were could have been uh, genetic, was my mother. Mm-hmm. And that was not what I expected. Why didn't you expect that? Because you know for a fact she's done it. There wasn't much I was expecting per se about pregnancy. And so there were some questions that popped up during pregnancy, like stillbirth, um, which... I suddenly, I, I started getting quite concerned about and I knew my mum had some experience in that and, you know, I had quite a, a very interesting conversation with her about that subject and there were a couple of times when that happened where it was an issue that I kind of knew she'd had some experience in or, um, or I didn't know and I just brought it up and, I, you know, we had some really good conversations and I just wasn't expecting that pregnancy and childbearing has an impact on the bond between a mother and a daughter as in 
the bond between the the mother being the expected mother. Yeah. No, sorry, <laughs> the, the bond between the expectant grandmother. Mom. Yes, yeah. exactly, the expectant mum and her mum, because all of a sudden you are getting insight into an experience that your mother had that you'd never given any thought to. It's just it's just something that you like it's just a fact of life. Mm. Your mum's had babies, whoop de doo. Now all of a sudden it's happening to you. <laughs> and it's suddenly the biggest deal <laughs> on earth. Mm. And so maybe so I feel like there's a there's a bond strengthening that happens between the expectant mother and her mother that maybe um then carries through to the early weeks of the baby's life. Having said that, I have found that because I have a three-month-old and a four-year-old and what you need from grandparents changes as the baby grows up. Mm. So now I have a four-year-old who is so much more work than the baby. Mm-hmm. Like a four-year-old is a difficult thing to manage and keep entertained, particularly during, you know, kinder breaks and, and when childcare is um, uh, closed down over Christmas. Or well, the last three hours. Keeping, <laughs> just, just generally daily life, yeah. keeping that child happy, engaged, entertained, that's a whole different skill set to the first, you know, six weeks to three months of just keeping the damn thing alive mm. and keeping the mother sane. Mm. And so I found that that the the role of the grandfather comes particularly for I've got girls, the role of the grandfather comes into play very strongly from uh, sort of 12 months onwards when that connection and sense of humour and all of that personality developments sort of come into the fore. You said something to me, um, it's not entirely related to grandparenting, but you said that like once the kid goes into childcare, like your entire life, your entire relationship with the kid becomes about holidays because it's the only time where you get to spend quality time with them. How much of that quality time with Isla have you felt compelled to spend with her grandparents and how intense a time have you found that? I'm incredibly fortunate that all of Isla's grandparents and Eleanor's grandparents live within a half-hour drive of our house Mm. and frequently drop in for coffee. So we have had a lot of incidental contact, a lot of... um, um, uh, you know, half-hour snatches here and there as they're passing through on their way to wherever. So we haven't felt the need to dedicate family holiday time to grandparents. Mm. Having said that, (laughs) we've been known to invite the grandparents along on holidays in order to utilise their babysitting services. (laughs) So I find that beneficial. Yeah. Definitely not an intense experience. <laughs> but as I said, I've been in the very fortunate position where I've never felt that boundaries have been crossed. Mm. I've always felt supported. I've never felt like, um, I'm just gonna, let's try to block the wind. Mm-hmm. I've never felt like, um, I've never felt undermined or second guessed or anything like that by any of the grandparents of the kids. Um, and I know that a lot of people are in that situation. Mm. I have a friend who um, had her first child a couple of years ago, and that was a couple of years after she lost her mum. Mm. And so I don't know how... And, and I, I have friends who've had kids who whose parents live overseas, and I just don't know how people do it without... the. I think the grandparents are the next most important thing in the child's life after the parents. Mm. Like, 
a, a grandparent is such an important. And I've told this to my mum, who is so my parents are looking to put the family house on the market and mm. sell the family house um, later this year. And my mum's had a hard time coming to terms with this. Mm. And I've told her because because it's the house that she brought my youngest brother home from hospital to. It's the house where you know a lot of us have had our firsts. It's the house where me and my husband got married and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I've tried to explain to her that that part of her life is over now, mm. but there's a whole new part that's just beginning, and that's the part where she's going to be, su- and she and my my stepfather are going to be such significant influences in the childhoods of these kids. Because I know my husband idolised his grandfather growing up. Like, he... he, he, he um our firstborn, her middle name is is Dorothy. That's his grandfather Basil's beloved wife, who died thirty years before he did. Mm. So, um, and and he still he he sort of in 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 choosing how to live his life. You can he actively considers what his granddad Basil would do about the situation. Mm. You know, if it comes <laughs> comes to you know incorporating fun into our lives and 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 you know making the most of every day kind of stuff and and making time for you know tinkering with boats because it's just it's not important and it's incredibly important at the same time. And this is all influence that he got from his grandfather. And so grandparents are such significant figures in the forming of these personalities, these little tiny personalities. Um, And I've tried to explain to her that that's your job now. Mm. (laughs) And that is the part of you that will live on after you've died, Mm. which won't be for a very, very long time because the miserable, miserable ones always live the longest. But (laughs) yeah, they do. So letting go of the stuff that made up such a big part of their parenthood, um, they're doing that so that they can embrace the stuff that's going to make up their grandparenthood, like the holiday house and, mm. you know, looking after the kids, taking the kids down to the beach, all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know how people do it without them. I wouldn't want to. You have this... Um, you've put your children geographically... Um, in a place where they have a good support network around them in terms of access to their grandparents, the price that you pay for that is a long commute to work. Have you considered, you know, renting your place out and moving close to the city so that you can cut your commute time down so you have more time at home? And have you ever, has that ever been a factor? Because, of course, if you were to do that, you would reduce the amount of access that your kids have to their grandparents. I... Yes. Which is the situation that we're in. I sort of relish my commute time. I hate... So it's an hour door-to-door. I love... So so what that's given us is not just being able to be, you know, sort of smack bang in the middle of where all of our grandparents live or or where all the kids' grandparents live. Um, But it also gives us... You know, we're walking distance from the beach. We can go to the beach after work, take the girls to the beach for dinner after we get home from work. Um, and it also means that we're able to afford our house mm. <laughs> without absolutely killing ourselves at work, you know, mm. 12 hours a day. Um, but also I find my commute, um, I try to turn my commute into me time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you don't get, it's such a cliche. And I hate people that complain about parenting, but you don't get time to read a book. Mm. 
especially when your kids stay up way too late like mine do. Mm. Um, I fall asleep before my four-year-old often. So <laughs> you don't, you, you can't spend a couple of hours reading before bed, mm. but you can spend an hour on the train reading. Um, I live far enough far enough along the line to get a seat in the mornings. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So I sort of try to make, I try to incorporate that as part of my me time so that when I get home at the end of the day, I don't need to take myself out of the family environment to have some peace and quiet. So I, um, I, I, I try to embrace my commute. That said, I am, I'm thinking my work will need to move. Yeah. Um, I would move. I would move my work before I move my family. Yeah, because of the the lifestyle that we want is very much um, incorporates the beach. Mm. Even in winter, we love walking along the beach. Um, where a quick drive to my parents' holiday house in Cape Patterson, um, where we've got easy access to my parents in Sandringham, Matt's parents in um, Mornington. We're right in the middle of them, um, and. I would, I would move my job if if the commute when the commute does become too much, which yeah. it absolutely will. Mm. I'll move my job before I move our family. Yeah, there's just too many. There's just too many factors that we're so lucky to have. Mm. Too many aspects that are such positives. Um. Yeah, <laughs> now, there are a few people that comment because like I can. I can ride to work in less than 15 minutes after dropping Hazel off at childcare. I have a lot of people commenting on like just how lucky I am that it's mm. that short. And like when I'm only 10 minutes into a podcast on the way to work, I'm like, this commute is not long enough. <laughs> there and, is something to be said for decompression time. Oh my God. Like I don't know why it is that I haven't lied to my boss and said, it actually takes me 20 minutes to ride and then ride f- past it and then come back up Double the hill. Back. Yeah. And the times where, like, for whatever reason, my phone has just been like, nah, fuck it, I'm going to cut the volume out. Like, I get a warning saying your volume is too high, it's damaging your hearing, so we're going to turn it down, I can't hear it, which means my hearing is already damaged, so too late, motherfucker. And I don't get to listen to my podcast for that five minutes, which is 50% of my ride into work. I'm seething with anger by the time I get into work. So I'm just like, wow, that's all of me time gone. Um, yeah, sure, I get to savor that extra little bit of time with my daughter, but, uh, it's God, there, she's always going to be around there until is, I'm dead. There is no, I don't, I can't imagine a situation that doesn't involve sacrifice. Yeah. Short of winning the lottery, I can't imagine a situation where you're not sacrificing something, whether it's the time to yourself. I can remember going back to work for maternity leave after my first child was born and hopping on the train that first day, commuting into the city and looking at both of my hands both my hands were empty they could have been doing anything I wasn't holding anyone no one was asking anything of me it was bliss <laughs> so there is there there's there's joy to be gleaned from a long commute but it's hard in the middle of winter at the start of August for example it's dark when you leave the house in the morning. It's dark when you get back. I do the drop-off at daycare on the way to work. There is a million there, – there is traffic to contend with and then I have to get a park and then I have to walk to the damn station and then my train's been cancelled so I'm waiting an extra 20 minutes or whatever it is. Um, there's, there's so many little gremlins during the commute that if you let them, they will make you into a homicidal maniac <laughs> because – 
because everything is just that little bit harder Mm. (laughs) when you've got all of these ducks to line up before you've even had your first cup of tea. Um, But you're a sacra... You can't... You just can't dwell on what you don't have in your situation. Like, I I feel like you you sort of prioritise what it could look like, Mm. where you live, where you work, what what your day-to-day... Because it's the day-to-day tedium... That is your whole life. Yeah. When you've got little kids, it is a logistical exercise. Mm. Parenting is about logistics. Mm. And that's about it at this stage. Check in with me again in a few years yeah. when, <laughs> when uh, maybe it gets a bit more complex than that. It is, it is hard when you're leaving in the darkness, you're getting home in the darkness. And the busy times of the year, the days when you can't possibly get out of the office before 7 mm. p.m., for example. I don't have many of those. Mm. 7 p.m. might be an early finish for a lot of people. But um, they're very, they're harder because you know you've got an hour commute home yeah and you know you're missing out on that family time but that's a problem that a lot of people face and you have come up with with an innovation that i don't know of any other parent that i've come across is that your child keeps your hours she stays up later and she wakes up later i don't know any other parent that does that and i don't understand why i don't understand any i don't know any other parent that does that so i don't know how that happened ah, we, right. we didn't set out for it to be that way and we and and we were renovating for the first 3 years of her life we 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 slept in upstairs on the house while i was pregnant um, we weren't finished by the time she was born of course so we were all living downstairs in the one bedroom that was downstairs um, for the first 3 years of her life while we got upstairs where the two kids bedrooms are now ready um so she spent the first three years of her life in our bedroom um and she she didn't like going to bed until we were settled and in bed for the night (laughs) so she settled you (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) so um and and because her behaviour was always really good, she didn't have te- she didn't have terrible twos. Mm. She had like two weeks where she was a pain in the ass mm. when she was two years old, and then she was fine again. She I think she lacked the commitment to throw a proper tantrum, <laughs> so she sort of throw herself dramatically on the ground and then forget oh, why uh. she was on the ground and then get up and do something else. So her behaviour never seemed to suffer for the fact that she went to bed really late, um, and also she went to family daycare so um and it was a really chilled environment if she wanted to go to sleep when she got there go back Mm. to sleep for a couple hours she did like there's four kids in a family daycare setup so they're all pretty chilled so her behavior was fine and we all slept really well so this kid it's my firstborn. She slept through the night from about day six, oh. bringing her home from the hospital. I know. I don't tell many people that because oh I know that that's not the typical of I've babies. Never been angrier. I know. I kept that very quiet in my mother's group. Oh. But so the point was, uh, yeah. So some. So she ended up on adult time. We now are in the situation where she's going to four-year-old kinder. Four-year-old kinder. They're all about preparing them for school. Um, they have to be there at nine fifteen. They have to have had breakfast brushed their teeth, gotten dressed, all mm. the basic the basic getting ready in the morning stuff. Mm. Which which that's 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 a that's a tall order for us. <laughs> <laughs> because we're we're we don't we obviously like we're we're up we're up at like six thirty in the morning when we're both working. But since I've been on maternity leave since so it's what three or four months now I've been on maternity leave. Um, we've been sleeping in. It's been wonderful. So I've got a four-year-old that'll sleep until 10 a.m. if I let her. Mm. But the problem is getting her up and moving in the morning. So and, and, and she can't just have a nap. And she can't, 
you know, be moody all day. She needs to socialise and she needs to listen and follow instruction and, you know, participate and, you know, mm. show, um, you know, the potential to be a productive member of society. So, and of course, as a parent, I don't want her to reflect badly on me. So, yeah. so we're now at, at a point where we need to make this child go to sleep before 10 o'clock at night. So, look, it's worked fine for us and I'm a big advocate of not following arbitrary rules when it comes to parenting do what works and just don't tell anybody about it no one needs to know if you're formula feed or breastfeed if you're still breastfeeding when they're five years old if you if you're giving them sugar at six months nobody needs to know if it's working do it but once it stops working it's time to change tack and um that's sort of where we're at now so it's going to be an interesting uh four months before i go back to work because Mm. um yeah, we're, we're going to be two full-time workers with with uh, a four-year-old and a and a six-month-old, and it's going to be um, interesting. Yeah. I think that uncertainty is a good moment to end on. <laughs> Ali, thanks very much for joining <laughs> over my dead body. Alexander, it's been a pleasure. Mm.